Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Welcome also to the 36th Annual DeLong Sermon Series Student Preaching Series. The, the series was established in honor of Reverend Thomas DeLong, who was a pioneer minister in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, he, his son was probably more well-known, Russell V. DeLong. Uh, he was well-known by people whose hair is more my color than some of yours. Uh, but Dr. Dr. DeLong was the voice of the Church of the Nazarene in a number of ways. Uh, radio ministry, evangelist, uh, educator, he, he made things happen as far as the church was concerned. So his family established uh, this preaching series to honor uh, student preachers and to emphasize the importance of the preaching ministry. Yesterday, uh, Mike Goff preached, one of the students, uh, campus student, who was uh, selected to participate. This evening's preacher is Ryan Emmerich. Uh, he and his wife, Holly, are here from Bend, Oregon. Everybody welcome them. Uh, they have three children. Let me read a little bit about them so uh, you'll get, get to uh, know your classmate, your uh, college mate a little better. They have three children, Hannah, Riley, and Weston, and one coming, so three plus. So <clears throat> They live in Bend, Oregon. He is the worship leader at the church uh, that they attend. Uh, we asked uh, the students to uh, tell us a little bit about their call to ministry. Here's what Ryan said. Uh, through many small doors, God has led toward a life of ministry. In February 2004, while at a lunch with a friend who was later his boss, uh, God called me to leave everything behind and to pursue ministry full-time, and he has. Currently, Ryan serves as the worship arts pastor at Ben Church of the Nazarene, and he believes that Holly and he are called to the mission field, though when and where is not yet known. Uh, one other comment that will uh, help us know him a little better. He loves, all caps, taco salad. That's what he said. So, um, so Ryan is going to minister the word. Uh, as we did last evening, we have a certificate of recognition that I want to give you, Ryan, as we begin our time together. So come on up. Um, this certificate is awarded to Ryan S. Emmerich in recognition of your participation as a preacher in the DeLong Sermon Series this fifth day of May 2010, Nazarene Bible College, Colorado Strings. Looking forward to your ministry. Glad you're here. The songs that we'll sing this evening will help tune our hearts and minds uh, in the direction of the word that uh, Brian, will pre uh, Ryan will preach in a little minute. So I need you to stand and let's sing together. We've tried to say, we've tried to say that you are worthy of all that we can offer to you. The lyric, the melody, the harmonies, all the music helps give our hearts the ability to sing, say your praises. Most of all, though, we give you ourselves. We give you our hearts. Lord of heaven and earth. And we pray 
that your word through your servant will accomplish your purpose. That you'll be glorified. Glorified by what's said, by what's heard, but also glorified by our responses. God of wonders, be praised, be pleased, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Good evening. Good evening. I am Ryan Emmerich. And this is my sixth year on my journey at NBC. And that sounds a lot like a support group introduction. <laughs> so, but either, I am, uh, yeah, and I'm a Nazarene. Um, and this is my first trip to, to Colorado Springs. And so this, you guys are a blessed group of students. This is a great campus. So I thought I'd let you know me a little more tonight. Um, I have some interesting quirks and pet peeves. Are there any words that drive you nuts? That make you cringe? I mean, I'm not talking like profanity or offensive derogatory terms or anything. I'm just talking about normal, run-of-the-mill, everyday words. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I've got a couple, and they're really weird. Uh, at the top of my list is the word crisp. I hate that word. <laughs> It reminds me, when I hear the word, I'm a very visual person, and so when I hear the word, I think of a picture or something that it just reminds me of. And the word crisp reminds me a lot of dehydrated banana chips. <laughs> and no offense to anyone who loves dehydrated banana chips, but they're gross. <laughs> and so when I hear that, you know, when, 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 I, when somebody says, I woke up this morning and the air was crisp, I just... <laughs> Uh, the other word I can't stand is the word moist. And yes, yeah, so, so yeah, well, they're both. Uh, anyway, the word moist, uh, you know, you use it to describe a chocolate cake, which I love. Uh, but whenever I hear the word, for whatever reason, I just think of a wet gym sock. You know, that that moldy, moist, wet. You know, and and it just so it. I just don't like that word. I'm a very words person. And growing up, there was another word that really. Uh, never sat well with me. I just couldn't stand the sound of this word, and it was the word holy. Now, many of you may be wondering how I ended up a Nazarene, considering one of our core values is of all things holiness. But it's because I didn't hate the word holy so much as I hated the definition that I developed over time. Uh, growing up, I viewed holiness as a kind of a, a checklist of moral do's and don'ts. Actually, mostly don'ts. I, I viewed holy people as a bunch of lifeless, bitter, cranky, law-abiding fun killers. And so I just avoided the word altogether. You know, I didn't use it, I didn't say it, I didn't listen to it, I didn't, it didn't show up in my devotions, I just avoided it completely. But the problem was I found out that scripture doesn't avoid the word at all. In fact, in the New Testament alone, it's in there over 150 times. And so I found out that if Scripture finds the word holy important, I guess I ought to find it important as well. And I needed to grasp uh, better the meaning of the word holy. 
And so I want to share tonight a little bit of what I've learned in that journey. And we're going to take a look at what the Apostle Peter wrote in, uh, in his first letter, in 1 Peter. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. And as you're turning there... I'm going to set this up just a little bit. See, Peter's writing to the Christians who've been scattered all over Asia. Um, they've been forced out, pushed out, driven out, thinned out, and they're now in these small, separated groups, and they're not close to this, to any kind of a core Christianity proximity headquarters type of a thing. They're really on the outskirts, and out there you're starting to feel this pressure and this loneliness and this persecution, and more is coming. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them to, to push through this tribulation and this suffering. And he starts in verse 13 of this passage, and he writes, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May it reach our ears, and more importantly, may it reach our hearts tonight. May we be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start with that last statement. Be holy as he is holy. Be holy as I am holy. See, what the people are reading here in verses 15 and 16 is that God has called us. He wants us to be holy, and He wants us to be holy because He is holy. And that sounds simple enough, but there's this lingering question. See, what does it look like to be holy, and how do I get there? Because at the first glance, it's kind of like you know, me saying, go to Salem. You know, well, that's great and all, but there's three Salems that I know of, first of all, and which roads go there and which roads don't. What does it look like? See, whenever you're traveling, they have this cool little tool out, I don't really think I have to introduce it. It's a GPS. I think everyone's got one now. It's an awesome thing. It does all the work that your wife used to do for you. <laughs> I probably just lost half the group there at that one. But I see people using these things all the time. And the great thing about them is, is they, they help you know where to go and how to get there. And when it comes to the holiness journey, we have a GPS system in Scripture. It tells us where to go and how to get there. So the first thing we want to do is we want to define well, what are we looking for, what are we hoping for, and what we're hoping for is the definition of what holiness is. So we're going to look to Scripture and, and we're going to find out what's the answer to that question, what is holiness? And really the first thing I found out is that's the wrong question. Because holiness isn't a what, it's a who. See, when Peter writes, uh, be holy because he is holy, He's not just making this up. He's quoting Leviticus 19, where God's got the people of Israel right there and says, I'm holy. Be holy, because I am holy. And the Hebrew word there, and I'm not real proficient in Hebrew, but it's Kadesh, which means separate, altogether different, unique, nothing like it. There is nothing like God in the entire universe. There is no one like Him. He is otherworldly. God is holy. The definition of holiness is simple and it's profound all at the same time. It's God. God is the definition of holiness. See, holiness isn't just one of God's attributes, you know, like His, his faithfulness or His grace or, you know, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an adjective like I have brown hair. 
Holiness is the sum of all of God's attributes. Everything that he is, completely different, completely otherworldly. So when God says, be holy as I am holy, he is calling us to look like him, to take on his attributes. And in doing that, he's calling us to walk like him, to talk like him, to rid ourselves of our old attributes, to be made more and more into his image. So that's why Peter writes earlier in the passage in verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. See, in order to be holy, we can't just keep giving ourselves over to our old selfish desires. We can't just keep doing things the same. We're going to have to be different. We're going to have to be changed. You know, it reminds me a lot of what Paul writes in Romans 12, which is my favorite scripture passage of all time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, in order to live out true holiness, in order to be holy as God is holy, we're going to have to quit being conformed and start being transformed. And we're going to have to have our entire being be changed. See, the holiness road is a road of transformation. Yes, it is. But here's where we need to be careful. See, we don't want to take the wrong road. I'm the kind of guy who loves shortcuts. So if I have a GPS and it tells me to go left and then straight, I'll go straight and then left, hoping that maybe I'll get there a little bit faster. Mostly it's because I think I'm smarter than the GPS, which is, more often than not, isn't the case. Um, and I end up at a dead end or I end up having to backtrack or take a longer route. And Isn't that kind of how it goes with us, with our holiness journey sometimes? You know, we seek true transformation, but sometimes we take little shortcuts to get to it. And that leads to a condition that John Ortberg writes about. It's called pseudo-transformation. See, when we experience true transformation, our whole being is transformed from the inside out. It's a daily process. It's usually a very slow process. And that inward transformation, it kind of causes us to, to act and look different. But the problem is, if we don't become changed from the inside out, we still have this need to look and act different. We know we're supposed to be different than the world around us. We know we're supposed to be different than we were before. And so we start looking for external ways to satisfy that temptation, that need to be different, to look different. We put fish symbols on our cars. We put on Christian music. We put on Christian t-shirts. I went to a, a summer camp once, and there was a, 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 a counselor there. And the counselor had this funny t-shirt that said, we sh they shall know we are Christians by our t-shirts. <laughs> and, and I thought it was funny, but in, in reality, that's the case for some of us. You know, our lives aren't really that much different than they used to be. That's what pseudo-transformation is. If we can't be transformed, we'll at least do everything in our power to look transformed. You know what pseudo-transformation is? It's imitation holiness. Several months ago, my wife Holly read an article on the internet, which you know is the most reliable source of information you can find. And this article was about milk and where it comes from. I mean, we know it comes from cows, but where it really comes from and what's really in your milk and what you're drinking, and it grossed her out. And so the very next thing we did was remove all milk products from the house, and we replaced them with soy. 
So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the soy milk wasn't bad. I mean, I wasn't drinking it by the pint. But you pour it on your cereal or whatever, it's okay. But, see, the little interesting tidbit about me, I love taco salad. Taco salad is about the greatest thing anyone could ever eat. And uh, what do I love on my taco salad more than anything? Two gigantic ice cream scoops full of sour cream. <laughs> sour cream is from, is from heaven directly. It, it is... It is in fact, I had a big old scoop of it for lunch today with my taco salad. I, but. So I'm panicking at this point because what are we going to do, honey? It's taco salad night. And she, behold, I have a solution. And she shows me this tub of imitation soy sour cream, which I was a little nervous about. So I pop the lid and it looks like sour cream. I poke it with my finger and it's thick like sour cream. I scoop it up and it scoops like sour cream and I drop it on the plate and it falls like sour cream. And then comes the moment of truth. And I pick that fork up and for me with taco salad there's this little minute of anticipation right before it goes into my mouth where I'm just so excited about what I'm about to experience. And so I, 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 I get going, I rear up, I throw that thing in my mouth and it is the most horrific thing I've ever tasted in my life. One bite and we closed that, that container up, we threw it in the trash and we never talked about it again. When we're pseudo-transformed, when we're different on the outside only, when we're imitation holy, we look like the real thing but we aren't the real thing. And if you get pretty close to us, it's very, very obvious. You know, the best example of pseudo-transformation I've ever found in Scripture is the Pharisees. You know, they had everything. They had knowledge. They had the law. They were sacred. They were held high. But you know, they succeeded in being separate from other people, but they never succeeded in being any closer to God. And they succeeded in looking different from the pagans, but next to God there was really no family resemblance. You know, if you read, if you want a good read, Matthew 23, you'll find the seven woes, the woe to you statements, where Jesus really hands it to them. And none of them are good. You know, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them uh, cups that are clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And you know what he accused them of is putting heavy burdens on the shoulders of men, burdens of man-made, ritualistic, imitation holiness. The Pharisees were the epitome of pseudo-transformation. So if God is the definition of holiness, and the Pharisees are the definition of not holiness, the question is, how do we, how do we, how do we reach true, complete holiness without becoming pseudo-transformed? I mean, how do we take the right road and avoid the wrong road? I think for one thing, it begins by coming to grips with the fact that holiness is God's doing, not our own doing. See, we can't just conjure it up. Scripture is full of imagery about things that are transformed. My two favorites are in Isaiah, where we, where we are compared to pottery or clay. You know, that we are in the, mat, we are in the potter's hand. And, you know, if you've ever seen someone do pottery, it's really kind of fascinating. You take this lump of wet, gross clay and you put it on a, a wheel. And if you're any good, you kind of spin it around and you, you mold your hands back and forth. You're very gentle with it. When you're all said and done, you have this priceless vase. And my other favorite uh, imagery of transformation is refining metal. 
In Malachi 3, he says that, you, that God sits with us as a metal refiner sits with silver and refines it. You know what's so cool about that is you take this, this raw material and you melt it. And you scrape all the impurities off, then you cool it. Then you melt it again, you scrape all the... You just keep scraping it and scraping it. And you know the coolest part about that is when the refiner's all done, he knows he's done. Because he can see his reflection in the metal. Those are great images of transformation, but you know what's so unique about those images? Have you ever seen a lump of clay just spontaneously become a vase? Have you ever seen a chunk of gold just dry really hard and pop into a 24 karat gold ring? See, these things don't become what they are on their own. Instead, they are uh, in the, the, the hands of a skilled craftsman. See, we're to be holy as God is holy, but apart from Him, we can't be holy. Not apart from Him. No matter how hard you strain, you will not become holy on your efforts alone. That's just a burden that we can't carry. You know, being holy is absolutely impossible without God's work in our lives. So you might be wondering then, well, what's the point of prayer and fasting and all of this stuff that I've been doing, these spiritual disciplines that I've been learning about? What, you know, what's the point of those things if God does all the work? I love Richard Foster's take on the spiritual disciplines. He says the spiritual disciplines by themselves don't do anything. But they bring us to the place where something can be done. And that is why they are so valuable. They remove distractions. They bring us closer to God. They allow the Holy Spirit to make us look like Him. That's their purpose. That's why they're so important. So disciplines like fasting and prayer and study and meditation and silence and solitude and worship, they provide moments where God does something great in our lives and really makes a change. They aren't some sort of a checkbox list of things to do. You know, my 15 minutes of prayer, did that. Did 30 minutes of journaling, that counts for two days. I'm good, I got a day off tomorrow. These disciplines provide the fire that God uses to refine us. They provide opportunities for God to make us holy. And when we understand disciplines in this life, in this light, they're not so burdensome anymore. That's why Jesus writes in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus just communicated to us the difference between the Pharisees' brand of holiness and his. See, Jesus offers us a much lighter burden by taking the weight onto his own shoulders. Now, I I gotta say, we gotta be careful here because I don't want you thinking that holiness is some sort of a passive thing where you just put yourself into spiritual neutral and let God do all the work. You know, there is a bit of a catch to all this. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote that the Christian way is easier and harder all at the same time. And I think this is what he meant here. When we come to Christ, he takes the burden of sin and that battle within us of good and evil, and he gives us his yoke. It's an easy yoke, and that's the easy part. But the hard part is, in order to take on that easy yoke of Christ, we've got to give up our yoke of, self, or of control. And we've got to surrender. We've got to die to ourselves. And that's really hard. Because I don't know about you, but for me, self is a powerful force. It's really hard to die to self. It's difficult giving up our time, giving up our energy, giving up our resources, practicing all these spiritual disciplines. It is difficult, but I'll tell you what, it is a lot harder 
than straining to make ourselves look like Jesus while at the same time holding on to our old self. And the spiritual disciplines that we've talked about, they teach us to give up control of our lives and to surrender to the transforming power of God through the Spirit of God. So He is able to do His part when we do our part. If we come to Him daily, if we offer our bodies, our minds, our hearts as living sacrifices, if we surrender all that we are for His purposes, then He is faithful to transform us, to make us holy. And once we experience true transformation, that's when it gets good, because then we're ready to go back out into the world. See, another difference between Jesus' brand of holiness and the Pharisees is that the Pharisees did all they could to stay as far away from unclean people as possible. But Jesus walked with sinners. He talked with sinners. He ate with sinners. But all the while still stayed separate. Because Jesus' separation, Jesus' holiness was not a matter of distance, but uniqueness in character. He was altogether different. And Peter understood this concept. That's why earlier in 1 Peter, in chapter 2, Peter writes to those who are scattered throughout the pagan world, and he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. When we're holy and when we're really transformed, we are sent back into the world. But not as citizens anymore. As foreigners. You ever been out of the country? Holly and I got to travel to Japan uh, uh, five years ago to visit a friend of hers. And um, we shared a house with them, and we shared meals with them, and their food's a lot different than ours. <laughs> and we shared space with them and time with them. But we were a lot different than they were. For one thing, I was six inches taller than everyone there. You know, when we're citizens of the kingdom, we are here as foreigners. We live here. We share space with people. We share time with people. We hopefully share conversation with people. We just don't look like them anymore. We are different. And this is important. This is extremely important because we're the image bearers of Christ. This is how God chooses to show himself to the world. Through us. So true transforming holiness, it has a profound purpose. But if we're going to fulfill that purpose, we've got to do a couple things. First of all, we have to stop trying to take holiness shortcuts. Stop trying so hard to look holy and feel holy. Stop worrying about keeping up with the spiritual Joneses and being holier than the next guy. Instead, let's use those disciplines rather than to manipulate others around us and what they view us as, let's use them to let God do a work in our lives, to surrender ourselves completely to Him so that He can transform us and make us more and more into His image. And finally, let's remember that God did not call us to be holy and separate so that we could be holy and separate and different alone. He called us so that we might look like Him, so that when people see us, they see Him. That is a profound purpose. If we remember those two things, our pursuit of holiness really makes a difference. I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up. They're going to sing a song here, one of my favorites. It's called Surrender. Because I think it's one of the biggest parts of this holiness journey. 
Because when I was a teenager, I was wrong about holiness. You know, I thought it was nothing more than a moral checklist that usually just resulted in an angry, intolerable Christian. And I also felt like it was impossible. It's a standard I just couldn't live up to. And so you know what? I got tired. I was in a rut. I felt like I was on a hamster wheel. You know, just running and running and running and not actually going anywhere. But holiness meant so much more than that. It is so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. You know, God is, or holiness is, is found in God alone. And it's available through Christ alone. And it's attainable through the Holy Spirit alone. And so, when we surrender ourselves, God makes us holy. We can do it. We can be holy as He is holy. We can show the world what God looks like. But in order to do that, we have to truly be transformed. So my question tonight is, are you tired? You know, are you tired of imitation holiness? Are you ready for real transformation? If you are, then as they play this song, let that be your prayer. I surrender all to you. I give you my heart and all that is within. I lay it down for you, my king. Give up my pride. Give up my rights for the promise of new life. You know, it's not cheap. It's expensive. It'll cost you your very life. You're going to have to die to yourself. But whatever we lose in death to self, we gain infinitely more in new life in Christ. It's definitely worth it. So the question is, are you ready to make a difference? So let your heart be surrendered. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we listen to the words of this song, as we sing the words of this song, each each one of us is called, Lord, to transformation, to real transformation. Just as he who has called us is holy, so we need to be holy in all that we do. And that means that we can no longer conform to our old ways. We aren't ignorant anymore. But Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, not to jump the gun and seek the shortcuts not to just check off our prayer time and check off our study time, not to get so busy doing the work of, of Christ that we forget to be with Christ. Lord, help us to not be so busy going about your business that we forget to spend time with you. Help us to view holiness and discipline in those lights the light of your love for us and your relationship with us and how you just long to spend time with us. So in the next few minutes, Lord, help us as we lay our lives down for your name's sake, for your glory, and receive new life in Jesus' name. So um, you're dismissed, but if you just respect the, what, the work that's going on here, um, thank you very much, and have a great evening. God bless you guys.